From Vermont Digger, I'm Mike Doherty. This is The Deeper Dig. Today is Friday, August 24th. Throughout the summer, we've been hearing more about sewer overflows in Vermont's largest cities. And while public officials aren't happy about these events, they're hoping that increased awareness will get communities more involved in working on solutions. So you're on the site? Mm-hmm. I am on the public alert notification site for sewer overflows from wastewater treatment facilities around the state. Our environmental reporter, Elizabeth Gribkoff, reports on water issues. It's this big blue and white table with all this data. Just reading through it on August 17th at the Pine Street CSO, which is located in Burlington, an estimated 10,000 to 25,000 gallons came out. Scrolling down on August 18th in Rutland City, there's about one, two, three, four, six different overflows that happened, and those are ranging from 37,505 gallons uh, up to 476,078 gallons. And we got some Montpelier at the top, too. That's like, we can basically see some of these from this room, more or less. Yeah, and some on Northfield uh, going into the Dog River. That was on July 6th, 100 to 1,000 gallons. What is all this data actually telling us? This is uh, starting in 2016, uh, wastewater treatment plant operators or heads of town and city public works departments had to report when they have a combined sewer overflow. Combined sewer overflows usually happen when you have a, b- a big storm and wastewater treatment plants basically can't handle all that kind of that inundation of water that's running off of you know roads and buildings and going into their plants. Combined sewer overflows are we're estimated to be about 95% stormwater, actually, and then there's about 5% of wastewater. And the wastewater is a combination of industrial wastewater coming from restaurants, uh, maybe breweries, and also sewage. So there is raw, untreated sewage that's coming out of this. And that's why it's really a public health concern, because you could have E. coli and other pathogens present in you know these water bodies for up to if they're in rivers for up to 48 hours. Um, so starting 2016, the public, you know, is notified. And these are just, this is just a list of all the public notifications? Yes. Got it. On the one hand, it sounds kind of scary, these, like, huge numbers of gallons of wastewater being released into our waterways. On the other hand, looking at this list, it, it seems kind of routine. Yeah, it is routine. There's... 17 towns and cities around Vermont that have these combined sewer systems. And basically, these systems are designed to have these overflows because if they didn't happen, uh, the treatment plants wouldn't be able to handle all the incoming stormwater. And so it would start to back up into people's homes and onto streets. So these are routine. What's maybe newer is people actually being informed of these overflows when they happen. Scrolling through this list, there's this name that comes up over and over again, Jeff Winberg. Tell me about Jeff. Yeah, so Jeff is commissioner of the city of Rutland's Department of Public Works. He had previously served as mayor of Rutland. He was also commissioner of the Department of Environmental Conservation for five years. That got me going, and I've 
was involved with the National League of Cities when I was mayor for a bunch of years. I chaired their Energy, Environment, and Natural Resources Policy Committee for a year and was on it for, I don't know, six years or something like that. And so um, just kind of developed a, a real interest in it. So you weren't like as a kid into the sewers? No. <laughs> No, that was not it. I was into the stars. Cosmology was my interest. It's about as far away from the sewers as you can get. <laughs> he's not the wastewater treatment plant operator, but he's in charge of that department. I'd interviewed Jeff in July because Rutland had definitely a, a higher than normal combined sewer overflow. And part of that is because Rutland actually has, I think it's six outfalls. So you, you kind of tally all those different points. And on that one day, it was... I think it was July 23rd, they had around 9.7 million gallons of a combined sewer overflow, which is, that's, you know, that's like higher than normal. What did he tell you about why these overflows are happening? Well, he said that this is kind of the system functioning as it's supposed to. One of the misunderstandings on combined sewer overflows that a lot of people have is they think that you know, somebody at a treatment plant somewhere is throwing a great big valve and releasing all of this stuff to the, the streams. And that doesn't happen. That's not it at all. What it is, is there are actually permanent structures that are built in the collection system that meter, if you will, the water that the collection system and the treatment plant can handle. And if the water coming in is in excess of what the plumbing and the treatment plant can handle, it passes over a dam. It's an underground structure, so but it's a weir. It's a low dam. And if the level gets up past a certain amount, it flows over the dam, or that which doesn't go down the pipe flows over the dam, and that's what goes straight out to the stream. So it's the way the system is designed. It's designed exactly to do this. It's functioning exactly as designed when we have an overflow. So it's, it's essentially totally automatic. It's, it's totally automatic, yeah, absolutely. The wastewater treatment plant in Rutland, which is actually, he said, the biggest in the state, um, that they have increased capacity over the years to handle over 22 million gallons of stormwater and wastewater, which is you know a lot. Um, but that it's still not enough when they have these storm events. The good news is when it isn't that high, which is the majority of the time, vast majority of the time when the rainfall isn't so much that it has to overflow, it's all going to the treatment plant. And we treat about a half a billion gallons of stormwater a year through this plant. I mean, 500 million gallons is a small lake. So that's an enormous benefit to water quality. So the challenge is, how do we retain that benefit? We don't want to throw that away. And at the same time, kind of minimize and control these overflows. So anything that comes out of a combined sewer overflow is completely untreated. Yeah, it, it is untreated. When we're talking about treated versus untreated wastewater, what's the real difference? So treated wastewater um, and stormwater, which in these combined sewer systems, it's... It's all one. You have both. It all eventually drains into the same pipes, which go to these treatment plants. They all comes in here. There's a screen in this building here that takes out big stuff, you know, the grit. Um, rags, all kinds of things like that. So wastewater that goes to treatment plants, it moves through a variety of biological processes that basically cause solids to, to settle out. And these tanks go down 27 feet, so there's a lot of volume in here. 
And so the, the water has a lot of residence time, and that gives the bugs, the microscopic organisms, time to break everything down. It's very similar to what happens in the, in the gut of the human being, only it's a little more advanced and a lot bigger. And so this is all about delivering oxygen to feed the bugs and the bugs, the billions and billions and billions, trillions, I'm sure, that are in here are actually the ones that are doing the treatment. It's, it's really, they do all the work. At the end of the treatment system, it's disinfected with chlorine. This is the, it's like a little labyrinth. You could like a flume ride. Um, never thought of that before. But. So this is where we inject the chlorine and it needs a certain amount of time in order to effectively kill anything that might still be alive in there. So that's why it goes through this kind of labyrinth to uh, give it more and more residence time, contact time. And then the chlorine's neutralized just before it goes out. And then, you know, heads out into rivers looking, as, as we saw, pretty clean. Cascades down here goes right out to Otter Creek. So it comes in kind of like brown and murky, and then you see it go out, and it's just like regular clear water like it would come out of the tap. Yeah. When these thousands or millions of gallons of untreated water drain into waterways, what are the actual consequences of that? I think the, the biggest concern from these is, you know, a concern for public health from anyone who might be swimming or paddling or fishing or just otherwise hanging out near these outfalls. Well, obviously, if some of this, even if it's a small amount, is bypassing the treatment plant, it's also bypassing disinfection. So it's going out to the stream alive. And some of those are going to be pathogens that I mean, it's, it, it's human waste, so they can be injurious to people. So you want to be really, really careful. And that's why they close beaches up in Lake Champlain is because treatment plants on the lake, if they have a release where the disinfection hasn't been effective, that could make, you know, contact recreation, swimming, somewhat of a risky activity. So to be safe, they close the beach. And in case of a river, it's a 48-hour period. They die off over 48 hours and of course the stream moves over 48 hours. So the stream will clean itself, but for that first 48 hours, fishing and doing all kinds of other activities that might cause them to come in contact with the water and we need to do the best job we can of notifying them that uh, you might want to wait a couple of days. So the concern is basically, you know, there's all kinds of stuff in untreated wastewater that you don't want to be coming into contact with. It can make people become nauseous. You can also develop more serious long-term illnesses from this. Um, you, you know, a lot of people have, we all heard about E. coli, but there's also other pathogens present. I mean, you know, there's, it's a pretty serious public health concern. Yeah. So when people hear about these overflows, that's part of why they're taking it really seriously. Yeah. We've been hearing about these a lot more over the past two summers. What are kind of the trends that we're seeing in how often these are happening and how these municipalities are responding to them? It's a little bit hard to know exactly because starting 2016 was the first year that treatment plant managers had to actually report all of these overflows. So I, th I think it's a little bit challenging to know, you know, whether or not these had increased over the years. But it does, from speaking with Jeff and others about this, it doesn't seem like the amount of overflows has necessarily increased. It's more that people's awareness of them and the actual tracking of them has become it wasn't until about 1963 that we treated anything. I mean, 100% of all of the wastewater and the stormwater 
that was collected in the same pipes just went straight to, you know, wherever the river was. And in this case, it's Otter Creek. So starting in the 1960s, we started to build treatment plants, which didn't do a particularly good job, but radically better than doing nothing, which was what was done before that. In the case of Rutland, you know, they have been, over the years, upgrading their treatment plant to be able to handle more stormwater. Um, But that's complicated by the fact that due to climate change, these high-intensity storm events, which really are what cause problems at treatment plants and lead to combined sewer overflows, those have also been increasing. The number of intense rain events in the northeastern United States has increased by 71% in like the last 10 years. And we've seen it here. So it's almost like moving the goalposts. You know, you you make progress and we've increased the ability of the system to prevent an overflow. And then Mother Nature is giving, you know, we have a five-year storm twice a year, a 25-year storm once every two years. And the definition of the storm is, well, that's on the long-term historical average. That's how often you see that much rain in that limited period of time. But that's over a 30-year span. And we're seeing over the last 10 years a significant dramatic increase in the number and intensity of rain events, especially in the summertime. And that drives all of these events. It's not wastewater. It's not... It's not the plumbing that comes from your house that's driving these events. It's what, what comes from the heavens that really causes this to happen. So it's sort of like, okay, you keep developing this to handle more water and you're trying to reduce the number of overflows, but then you're, you're competing with storms that are getting worse. And, and treatment plants, like, it, there comes a point where you just can't really build them big enough to be able to handle storms of that size. So there's enormous progress that's been made. And the reality is the, the, the CSOs, the combined sewer overflows, are like that last 5% of the problem. And, you know, when you do the first 95% of the problem, you try to squeeze the last 5% out. If it was easy, it would have been done a long time ago. And if it was cheap, it would have been done a long time ago. So that last little bit, and it's a little bit compared to where we've come from, that last little bit is very hard and it's very expensive. Jeff is really interesting in that he actually sounds really excited for people to know more about the overflows and to understand why they're happening. Yeah, I think part of it's, you know, a public health concern wanting to make sure like they post these on their Facebook page. They want to make sure people, you know, who might be swimming or fishing in the Otter Creek are aware of this. But also he was saying that to really to minimize the amount of combined sewer overflows that happen in Rutland, it's going to cost millions of dollars and he's going to have to come to taxpayers with votes for bonds to actually pay for that. And he wants, in order to get those votes, he wants people to be aware of why this is an issue. The state has a website and everybody with a CSO is required to uh, issue an alert within an hour of discovering it. We take the extra step of putting it up on social media and needless to say, on Facebook in particular, we get comments. <laughs> um, they are not always praising um, the uh, work of the department or the, or the folks who operate these things. And we leave them up there and then try to respond to them when it's an opportunity to educate so that people understand that, you know, it is better than it has been, but we still have a, a ways to go. And it's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to take a lot of time. And you need to be aware and we're going to need your support. It can be a little painful to uh, deal with 
the public comments. But every one of those is an opportunity for people to better understand. And in the long run, that's going to be good for all of us. You were talking about when you were first looking through Facebook comments, you know, seeing some maybe misunderstandings out there. And I was wondering just like, what are the main common misunderstandings well, the, about The main CSOs? one <laughs> is people get upset and they just write, just fix it. And I mean, it's just, just fix it. And it's like, golly, I wish we could just fix it. But every time you see one of those, it's an opportunity. I can saying it's an opportunity to say, well, here's why we can't just fix it. He sees all these opportunities for education, <laughs> tries not to take it, you know, too personally, I guess. How does Rutland's system compare to some of the other cities that we're seeing on this list? Well, Rutland has the biggest wastewater treatment plant in the state, and they're treating as wastewater and stormwater, not just from Rutland, but from some of the other surrounding towns as well. The Burlington events that have actually garnered the most attention are not combined sewer overflows. The Burlington kind of wastewater releases that people have seen in the news, including on our site, and that have led to beach closures, they have pretty much all been cases of wastewater and stormwater going through the treatment plants, but not being properly disinfected for various reasons. So that's it's a little bit different because you're having, you know, a lot of those solids and pathogens actually removed in the treatment process. It's like that last step of the process you were talking about where the water gets chlorinated mm-hmm. and then dechlorinated yeah. and then goes into the waterway. It kind of skips that part of the process. Yeah, and like like one of those was caused by a, a computer failure that didn't activate those valves that should have been disinfecting. I think a lot of the issues in Burlington are more the treatment plant is aging and needs needs some upgrades. That's what's been causing issues there this year. Gotcha. How big of a role do these actually play in this broader conversation about improving water quality around the state? There's certainly an area of concern and treatment plants have had to make some upgrades in order to remove more phosphorus um, from, you know, wastewater and stormwater that's moving through those plants. From what I've been able to gather, the combined sewer overflows are more concerning for their kind of immediate public health impact and maybe not quite as much for the longer term water quality impact as, as people might think. That's the main concern is the human health concern. The water quality concern is more of a stormwater issue than it is actually a wastewater issue because the component of the overflow that's wastewater is very, very small. It's like 5% or less of the volume. So the vast majority of the volume is stormwater, which we wouldn't even have to report or notify anybody every time it rains because it just go to the stream. But we much prefer to treat it through the plant and disinfect it so we know that that's safe because there are pathogens in there as well, even coming out of the, the national forest. The main thing is the inability to disinfect and the need to alert the public for the concern that the pathogens could still be in there. Looking back through some of the articles I've written, I've actually seen a lot of comments about people, you know, concerned about these causing algal blooms. And I don't know that you can necessarily draw that correlation. There's other sectors like, you know, agriculture runoff from developed lands going right into the lake that are probably contributing more directly to algal blooms. The wastewater, there is some amount of phosphorus involved here. Yes. Just not as much in proportion to those other things. Yeah. The CSOs are in some ways more of a short-term water quality impact. Like for that 
those 48 hours after the city of Rutland has a combined sewer overflow into the Otter Creek. You know, you wouldn't want to be swimming or otherwise in that area for that time. But in terms of this bigger water quality issue in, in Lake Champlain and some other water bodies around the state, um, that really stems from phosphorus pollution that's leading to algal blooms. You know, wastewater treatment plants and CSOs do contribute some phosphorus, so they're, you know, they, they are a part of that problem, but they're not, according to the EPA and other state officials, they're not necessarily the biggest player in that. Um, you know, the, the number one biggest contributor with about leading to about 40% of the phosphorus pollution to Lake Champlain is runoff from agricultural lands, um, runoff from developed lands that's not treated. You know, in some cities like Burlington, not all of the stormwater necessarily goes through the wastewater treatment plant. So it's this, it's really this whole, you know, multiple sectors around the state that are contributing to that kind of longer term water quality problem. Got it. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thanks. <laughs> Read more of Elizabeth's reporting on water quality issues and check out photos of the wastewater treatment process in Rutland at vtdigger.org. The Deeper Dig is our weekly podcast. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend or colleague to check it out. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger Newsroom. Have a nice weekend. <laughs>